welcome to another episode of Stronger Together, the official podcast from your union, SEIU 503. I'm your host, Ben Morris, and we have a very special episode today. As everyone knows, there is a big election coming up in just two weeks, and so we're going to bring on our political director, Andrea Cooper, to interview two really important people. The first person is Deb Patterson. She's a member of our union, a SEIU 503 member from Salem. And she is running for state senate, and she could be the critical vote in making sure that we get fair contracts and pro-worker legislation passed through uh, the Oregon State Legislature next year. So we're really excited to have Deb running and really excited to hear from her. Next, uh, Andrea Cooper is going to interview Senator Jeff Merkley, uh, Oregon's longtime progressive senator who's going to come on and talk to us about the national landscape and the local landscape and issues that are really critically important to SEIU 503 members right now. So we're really excited to hear both of those interviews, and we'll kick it over to Coop to do that in a second. But before we do, I want to talk a little bit about CAPE, our union's political program, and why we're different than your regular advocacy organizations or other groups out there who are playing a part in politics. You see, CAPE is a group of 12,000 regular working people in Oregon who contribute on average $8 a month to our political program. Now, $8 isn't a lot, but when you add all that up across our entire organization, you end up with quite a good deal of power. And that power is wielded through a democratically controlled group called the Cape Council that is elected by our membership and is made up of members of our union. And in that way, we are very different than a big corporation or a CEO who can write a check or even different than your average advocacy group, which are often funded by a couple of large donations from wealthy individuals. We're really a democratic group, and our values reflect that, and our endorsements reflect that, and it makes us an incredibly important part of the political landscape in Oregon. We are an important and powerful voice for regular working people in every part of the state. And it's a program that I am personally very proud to be a part of. So with that said, let's go ahead and get right into it. All right, we're back. And up next, we have an interview with Deb Patterson. Deb is an experienced healthcare executive and an ordained minister, a mom of two, including uh, being a caregiver to her daughter. Deb has dedicated her career to service to her community, um, and she's also a very proud SEIU Local 503 member. In turn, we are also extremely proud to get to stand with her as she steps up once again to lead in her community by running for the state Senate. She will be on the ballot this fall. Thanks so much for joining us, Deb. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you here today. It's a real pleasure. Awesome. We're happy to have you. Let's start, you know, you have quite the resume. Every time I uh, introduce you or get to talk to folks about you, there's so much that I want to share. So let me ask you, just give us kind of the the highlights of your background. You have a ton of healthcare experience, but also being a minister. Tell us about your past. Yeah, well, um, I started out actually to be um, a music, uh, a musician, but uh, 
quickly switched to ministry because I did want to help people. Um, and when I was serving a church, I just found so many people were falling through the cracks related to health care. Their bills were, they had got all kinds of surprise bills. Sometimes they would lose their insurance suddenly because of they'd hit a, a, a you know, they'd spent to the top that they were allowed to spend. Sometimes um, things were not in covered that they needed to have covered and sometimes people were really you know at risk of losing their homes so um, I decided this just wasn't right and I went back to school um, after having graduated from seminary I went back to, and to Washington University School of Medicine um, and studied health administration um, moved from there to um, heading up the mission and ethics and uh, community health ministry work of a multi-hospital health system in the Midwest um, and then um, when when that health system was sold, I was very fortunate to be able to become the vice president of the children's health philanthropy that was formed from the sale of that those assets. The, though that gave me a few years to really see up close the healthcare disparities and the the unequal health outcomes. Um, that through, you know, the equity lens, we didn't use that language then, but wow, was that ever clear to see that the social determinants of health were um, so much broader than just, you know, do you have access to, um, you know, um, getting your shots, which are important, of course, extremely important, but um, access to affordable housing, the housing that was safe and didn't have lead paint, um, clean water, um, healthy, safe childcare, locations. Um, these all added up to wildly divergent healthcare outcomes for families. Um, uh, and so I moved from there to do more preventative work, to be honest with you. Um, I was really excited to be um, named to run an international health organization that worked with registered nurses. Um, when I started, we were in six countries. And 10 years later, we were in 23 countries around the world. We had about 15,000 partner um, registered nurses who worked out of their own faith communities, and um, they were uh, community-based, helping people access needed care, and um, help doing health promotion and health education. That was a, a wonderful experience. Um, we did adopt two children um, 20 years ago, or 20-some, 20-plus years now, and um, I wanted to spend more time with them as they were in high school. So I stepped down to run a regional health organization uh, here in the Pacific Northwest and um, then um, moved back into the church. Um, I've been serving a country church, now historic uh, congregational church, uh, 129 years old. Um, and but then, you know, I mean, the 2016 election happened and the the person that we elected or that our country elected was running on a pledge to dismantle the affordable care act to roll things back he was he was mocking a disabled reporter you know and i have a disabled daughter and um he was running on a platform that was racist and misogynist and anti-immigrant and i thought this has to be challenged so that's why i filed for office the first time around um, and uh, I got to know Senator Winters, who was a, a fine woman um, and left an amazing legacy. Um, I feel like I ran a good race, earned 46% of the vote in that race. But, um, you know, this is a different race this time around. I'm so sorry that Senator Winters has passed, but uh, I, that's why I had to run again.
Right. So just for our, our listeners' background, um, so you ran in 2018, like you said, kind of in the aftermath of Trump being elected. It kind of just, for a lot of folks, right, uh, service called them, serving in elected office called to them. Um, and um, as you noted, unfortunately, you came up short in that election running against a really well-known incumbent, but you ran a great campaign. Tell us a little bit about how you came to the decision to run again a second time after having you know, already done it. Um, what, what made you determine to run again in 2020? Well, the things that I saw in, you know, before 20, before the 2018 race were, are even more pronounced now. We have fewer people who have affordable health care in Oregon now because of the pandemic. Um, we've had people lose their jobs and lose their um, health care. Um, only 94% of folks in Oregon have health care now, and they're st- and still not affordable for even those who do have it for a lot of people. We have um, the cost of child care has continued to skyrocket and we don't have enough affordable childcare. And certainly now during the pandemic, again, it's gotten even more challenging. There were people, there are people sleeping on the streets and that's not good for the people on the streets, of course. It's also not good for the neighbors and or the, you know, the small businesses that are trying to, you know, be kind to them and keep their doors open at the same time. So when, um, you know, it, it, this, we're not moving in the right direction, I really feel, in that. And I wanted to be at the table to help change, move the conversation towards helping working families and people who are struggling to access the services and um, the opportunities that they need, like good apprenticeship programs. I'd love to see those expanded. Affordable long-term care. So many of the seniors, so many of the people who are homeless right now are seniors and others are at risk of losing their homes. So plus we need the climate action. We, we absolutely need climate action. That's clear. That hasn't changed. Yeah, absolutely. So you are running against um, a woman named Denise Bowles, who's currently the state senator for Senate District 10. She was appointed after um, Senator Winters sadly passed away towards the end of the 2019 session. What are kind of the dynamics of the race um, this time around? Well, um, you know, this is going to it's going to be a really tough race, but um, I've been working really hard um, raising these issues since I announced my candidacy back in 2017. Um, And so I got out there and I talked with thousands of people um, between myself and our team. We knocked on 24,000 doors then, and that's not very long ago. I mean, as you recall, a Senate race is is a four-year term, although this this particular election is to fill out the remainder of the term. And so, you know, I've been out there talking. I got out there again right away. I announced my candidacy last September, been knocking on doors again until the pandemic hit. Um, Been very active in the community. I've been uh, on the chair of the Marion County Health Advisory Board. I've served on the Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities Advisory Committee for seven years. Um, I served for a time on the Oregon Nursing Home Administrators Board. I'm now on the Oregon Disabilities Commission, and I'm a liaison from that commission to the Governor's Commission on Senior Services. So I've tried to be as active as possible. And in addition to 
still serving um, the, the congregational church that I've been at for seven years. And in addition to being a caregiver for my, my adult daughter with special needs, who um, uh, now is home more than usual because of changes uh, with the pandemic. So, um, you know, I, just out there and connecting with people, listening to their stories, hearing what they're just showing up and being involved. And so I and I think that's helped a great deal to um, to make my case for why I feel that I'm a strong candidate, both with my experience and my involvement for this seat. Right. Yeah, I was, you know, spoiler alert to our listeners. I've done some phone banking for you. And what's really clear is that people know who you are, which is really incredible. Um, it's almost like you've kind of served in office already because they've had so much contact with you over the last two and a half years as a candidate, which is really incredible. Um, and and there's definitely, you know, I'm curious if you feel this way too. There's a sense of urgency that I think we're all feeling, right? Folks who say, you know, I've been waiting to get my ballot for this election since 2016. Uh, I cannot wait to vote. There's a lot of folks who want to be informed. How, how has it been like, you know, um, ru- running during the biggest elections of our lifetime, as everyone says, but also running in the middle of a pandemic? Well, you know, we as, as you know, if you want to serve in office, you have to be flexible and you have to get the job done, right? You have to stay, stay at work and keep doing your task. So my task was to run this campaign. So I stayed, stayed at work and focused on the task, which was to connect with, with people. So we pivoted to calling and checking on voters, seeing how they were doing, um, um, volunteered, you know, with uh, the Red Cross with the, when the uh, wildfires hit, just just to the east of this district, um, in addition to, of course, helping the, the parishioners in our church who were, um, most of them were in go-now zones as well, um, helping them um, get places where they needed to be and make sure they were safe as well. Um, you know, just continuing day after day after day, all day, every day, connecting with people. And, and that's what it's all about connect finding out what's on people's minds what are the issues right now you know mothers are having a particularly hard time because they're feeling um most of in most many families they're feeling the pressure of having to be the primary person helping their kids with their um, online schooling um and then in addition to many of them have jobs that they're trying to do. And if you're, for example, if you're a home care worker caring for someone else, you can't take your kids with you. So what do you do? If um, if you're a farm worker, you know, same kind of thing. There's so many, a laborer, um, a carpenter, you can't take your kids with you um, there. So it's, and, and unfortunately, as the um, unemployment figures show, the unemployment rate for women now is much higher than it is for men because women have left left the workforce and some of them are not even are no longer even being counted in those uh, among those who are unemployed. They're just considered to have been to have left the workforce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really is. And I think what's really interesting, you know, I'll, I'll make this note because I think it's important is, you know, in the midst of all of these crises, you know, Deb, you have the experience of someone who's always stepped up to serve, even while these are happening. Um, While you're a candidate, you've continued to step up to serve your parishioners, and your opponent has done quite the opposite, right? She walked out right as uh, COVID was was coming into our country, so there was no work that the legislature could do to prevent it because of the walkout she was a part of. 
Um, it also meant there was not funding for wildfires, right? All of this is hindsight, but it's what we ask of our leaders to step up for us. And I think that's really a key distinction in this race of where you have stepped up and led and are committed to always leading. Your opponent has really um, let her community down. And I think that's uh, an interesting and important dynamic in this race. Well, you know, one of the things that was kind of surprising was, you know, to, whether or not one could could have known that the pandemic would get as bad as it did. That uh, we know now how bad it has gotten. Um, but we did know there were people sleeping on the streets. We did know there was a mental health um, crisis and we needed more services. And still the walkout took place, leaving $30 million in funding for mental health services on the table, leaving $50 million for housing for homeless shelters on the table, $5 million for a navigation center here in Salem, another $5 million for a navigation center in um, um, Eugene and uh, uh, centers elsewhere, in addition to um, 200 million for funding for wildfire risk reduction. So, you know, those things we knew absolutely were needed. And still that walkout occurred. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's just, it's, it's stunning. Um, so just moving to kind of the ins and outs of campaignings, I know so many of our members, you know, just cycle after cycle, volunteer, door knock, which we can't do this time. This time we're phone banking, um, writing postcards and so forth. Um, like you, I think they're, you know, folks who just love politics because they see the connection to change. So give us a little insider's look at what it's like to campaign. Um, what are like, what are some of the highlights? What do you enjoy about it? And what are some of the harder parts about just straight up campaigning and being a candidate? Uh, the most wonderful part is talking with people and hearing, you know, what's going on in their lives, what they're happy about, what they're worried about, um, how things are going. I just really, really love that. And I try to follow up with uh, every, I sent out, um, oh gosh, a number of postcards. I don't remember the exact number asking people to please contact me if they had something on their mind they'd like to talk with me about. And I've had the most wonderful conversations with people. In addition, in addition I'm not just sitting here waiting for people to call me. I'm, I'm actively reaching out to try to connect with as many folks as I can as well. And, and those conversations have been really, um, really, they've touched my heart a great deal. And I, that's why I'm running for office because Look, I've spent 30 years working, almost 30 years working in a, in a field that's primary, primarily charitable, right? Um, churches and nonprofits. And, and that's wonderful. Of, of course, we need charity. But we also need good public policy because charity alone is not going to fill the gap of the things like having enough funding for, you know, um, affordable housing in having um, laws that protect worker safety, for example, and live, you know, charity is not going to raise the minimum wage. So that's why I think bringing together the, the wanting to serve and help charitably is in addition to working on good public policy and fair and equitable public policy. That's why I think right now that I'm the, I'm very strong candidate for this seat. Great. All right. So last question, um, if you'll entertain it, let's look ahead a few months. Let's assume, you know, election night across the board is successful. Not only are you elected, um, but the Biden-Harris administration is elected and gets sworn in in January. What do you what do you hope to accomplish uh, once you're a senator in office? 
Well, um, you know, more better health care for more people for less money. I'd like to see us close the gap and make sure that everyone has health care is a human right. Um, make sure that everyone has access to the health care that they need. We, I would love to see us have universal pre-K and uh, more affordable childcare and after-school programs. Um, we need to find some way to have low, uh, we had some bills on the table, I'd like to go back and revisit those, um, funding for affordable housing. Um, I'd like to see us invest, um, support unions who are offering apprentice programs, apprenticeship programs to offer good paying jobs. We need to have some of those good paying jobs also in, um, around clean energy. And so I'd like to see that sector step up to um, uh, offer union jobs that um, help our climate. And um, I'd like to see us take some steps to make long-term care more affordable. Like I'd love to see more funding for Oregon Project Dependence, Independence, which helps people to stay in their homes. Um, so those are some of the things, you know, obviously I really care deeply about home care workers um, as, you know, as you know, folks have been asked in some places to um, continue working as home care workers without adequate PPE. I'm grateful to SEAU 503 for stepping up and, um, you know, fighting for the um, the protections, both of the, of course, of the person being cared for, but also the person caring for them. So that's just really important for me. Um, so I just like to keep on with working with all those things. They're, to me, they're critical. Absolutely. Well, um, getting there to do all those great things is going to be our North Star for the next two weeks. Um, and we're going to work our butts off alongside you and your incredible team to get over the finish line. We couldn't be more excited that you're running, Deb, and are so excited to work with you in the next two weeks and the months to follow. Um, so thanks so much for joining us today. Well, Coop, thank you so much. It was a real honor. And thank you for all, uh, everyone, for for your interest in this race and for every and for the help that you're helping, it is um, it's daunting, but um, gonna, we're going to do this thing. So thank you. We sure are. Thank you. All right, welcome everyone. Uh, we are thrilled to be uh, joined today by Senator Jeff Merkley. And as I was thinking about the best way to introduce him, I thought it was best to share uh, the recent write-up from the Willamette Week about why they chose to endorse him in this election. They said, the son of a mill worker, Merkley graduated from Stanford and Princeton. Yes, but he's startlingly regular guy. He jogs to keep the weight off. He can't keep his hair combed and says what he thinks instead of what he's supposed to say. Merkley is a truth teller, an honest man, and a crowd of equivocators. He's Bernie Sanders without the distinctive accent or marketing ability. His state and the country need more of him. And we certainly couldn't agree more. Uh, in addition to that, Jeff Merkley is a friend of SEIU. He's worked beside us for the last decades to do great things in Oregon, and we're, joined to have, we're thrilled to have him join us today. All right. Thank you so much, Senator Merkley, for joining us today. I know it is an extremely busy time for you, so we appreciate you taking a few moments to connect with SEIU members across the state who are really excited to hear what you're up to in this uh, upcoming election cycle. Um, so we are, as of today, we're recording this on October 15th. We're 19 days away from the election, and ballots will be arriving uh, in mailboxes in the next few days 
and you're going to be on it. So give us give us a scoop about your race uh, to kick us off. Well, thanks so much, Coop. It's a pleasure to join you. And in fact, um, the ballots came to our house yesterday, and and I'm always anxious to open it up and make sure that my name is actually printed on there, uh, because if it isn't, it would be a complete uh, disaster. Uh, but uh, in my race, I do not have a highly competitive uh, Republican in the race or a third party. So I am certainly going through all of the procedures of the questionnaires and the, the endorsements, the conversations. But I'm really spending my time and energy on two projects. One is helping other U.S. Senate races across the country. We need a blue Senate. We need to put Mitch McConnell out of business so that we can turn to the agenda of by and for the people. And then my second project is raising money for the turnout campaign here in Oregon. We call it the coordinated campaign uh, because that will help with all the key uh, statewide races here in the state as well as with the Oregon House and Oregon Senate. And we need uh, a strong showing to be able to uh, pursue better policy here at home in Oregon. That's fantastic. So I want to hear more about some of those races, but first just want to acknowledge um, and make sure our members can rest assured that when they hop on a phone bank and they don't see Senator Jeff Merkley on the script, it's with your blessing because you are doing everything you need to for your race and you want everyone to be focused on the other important elections here in the state. So let's talk a little bit about that. Which races are really top of mind for you here in Oregon um, and what can our members do to be helping in the next 19 days. So the two races that I'm most concerned about, one is the Secretary of State's race where Shamia Fagan is is running, and uh, she's running against Kim Thatcher, so two Oregon senators running against each other. Uh, The um, Secretary of State's position is extremely important, particularly in this campaign cycle. This is the cycle where the the person who wins uh, will have a big impact on redistricting. Under Oregon law, the we can redistrict by law, which means the House and the Senate can do a bill signed by, by the governor. But we know we have a problem, and the problem is that Senate Republicans have been walking out and essentially denying a quorum to conduct business. Therefore, it may not be possible to, to uh, redistrict by legislation which at a certain day kicks that to the Secretary of State. And if the Republicans have won the Secretary of State position, they will absolutely kick it to the Secretary of State, and it will result in a gerrymandered Oregon. Uh, So we cannot let that happen. We have seen what Republicans have done across the nation. Gerrymandering uh, for the U.S. House of Representatives is estimated to account for a difference of about 15 to 20 seats in which uh, people are not fairly represented. In other words, 15 to 20 seat advantage for the Republicans because of gerrymandering. We can't let that happen here. Furthermore, the Secretary of State uh, is in line to become governor should our governor step down for any reason, have a health care incident, or, or, or be asked to join the, the cabinet of, of um, a Biden-Harris uh, team. And so that is um, another reason we need to really pay attention to that race. Uh, it's, it's one that's pretty evenly contested, and we have to come out on top. A second race I'm paying a lot of attention to is Congressman DeFazio's race. Uh, Congressman DeFazio is uh, running uh, against an individual who has a little bit of stardust because he was involved in an incident where he tackled a would-be terrorist on a train in in France. 
So he's uh, essentially uh, someone who the Republicans have showered enormous amounts of money on. Uh, and, um, and it is a swing district. It is considered that district, the, uh, the fourth district here in Oregon, is considered one of the nine kind of most purple seats in, in America. Uh, so um, uh, DeFazio has held it cycle after cycle, uh, but we can't take that for granted in this situation and need to do everything possible to help him out. I'll, I'll just add in a little bit more here, which is that we would like to pick up two seats in the, in the Oregon Senate and two seats in the House, which would stop the walkouts that I was talking about to deny quorum. Uh, but that would require everything going perfectly. So we'll fight that battle, but we can't count on that uh, saving us uh, in terms of redistricting. Absolutely. Yeah, those walkouts, I mean, we've we've talked with our members in past episodes about just the impact that that's had on our ability to even pass the state budget, you know, was at risk at some point. And so appreciate you pointing out that those are two big races. Um, the Secretary of State, that has a direct impact on that. There's a lot of other issues um, that can come in play, but those legislative seats uh, really matter too. So, and I think, you know, just a note for our listeners, you know, SEIU is really proud to have endorsed Shamia Fagan for Secretary of State, uh, Peter DeFazio in uh, Congressional District 4, uh, and we were working really hard um, at the legislative level. And I think one of the really cool things about Oregon and our tradition is just uh, working together. Right. And really focusing on these elections. Um, what are you seeing as, you know, some good ways to reach out to voters during this uh, this pandemic? What's the coordinated campaign up to? Uh, so it goes through several different phases. The coordinated campaign goes through a whole recruitment phase for volunteers, including neighborhood leaders who each uh, agree to reach out multiple times to 50 people who live in their, their neighborhood, reaching out basically to help them craft a plan to vote, encouraging them to vote, checking in to see if they haven't voted or have voted, uh, checking in again. And so that's uh, effective. But you want a ton of volunteers to do that. And then there is this strategy of contacting a lot of people to see where they stand in the election on different races. Uh, so we build a list of, of people who are going to be with us uh, in our battles uh, for we the people government to invest in healthcare and housing and education and good paying jobs and fair trade policy and, and policies that advance uh, equality of opportunity for everyone in the state and take on climate. So we, we reach out, we identify those folks and those folks that are the folks that we work to turn out in the final phase. And that turnout, in addition to the neighborhood leader program, includes a texting strategy, a, a phone calling strategy, and mailing strategies that are essentially uh, say, hey, you know that uh, in your nearby neighborhood, you know, so many people have already voted of your neighbors, but you haven't voted yet. Um, get your ballot in and, uh, and make sure you're part of, of helping to put Oregon and America back on track, that kind of note. So we're trying to tackle it from every angle that's available. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your leadership to make sure that could happen this election cycle, even throughout this pandemic. There's so much great work happening uh, to get out the vote and make sure that uh, voters know who's on the ballot, who to vote for, and how to turn in uh, their ballot by 8 p.m. on Election Day. 
Um, so my last question for you, Senator, as we look past this election, you know, I talked to you briefly a few weeks ago, and I was I was telling some of our team that I left feeling really optimistic because uh, I think you had a really great vision for what's ahead of us. So I just wanted to ask, you know, in a world where we have a Biden administration in the White House, we finally take that back. What are you what are you hoping for? What do you hope happens uh, with that next progressive administration kind of in their first hundred days in the first few months once we take back the White House? So, Coop, uh, the I've been uh, cultivating a, a vision and a plan for a dramatic pivot in America. And think of it as a baseball game. Getting to first base is to win the House, Senate, and the Oval Office on November 3rd. If we don't do that, it's going to be very hard for the rest of the plan to be in, implemented. In fact, it'll be impossible. So second base is unrigging the Senate because it only takes 51 votes for Republican priorities, but it takes 60 votes for Democratic priorities for ordinary Americans. That is absolutely unacceptable. We have to unrig the Senate. Third base uh, is to unrig our future elections. So we take on gerrymandering, voter suppression, and dark money and ethics. We pass that for the people bill that I'm leading in the Senate. Uh, and uh, we basically restore that vision of uh, election integrity for the for the future that's been so corrupted by our, our uh, Republican Party efforts, uh, or their Republican Party efforts. And then a home run is using uh, the restored Senate and control of the House and, and the Oval Office to invest in the fundamentals for families to thrive, healthcare, housing, education, good paying jobs, including uh, rebuilding America's infrastructure, making sure we have good labor policy so workers have a fair right to organize to win a fair day's wage for a fair day's work, uh, taking on the issue of equality of opportunity for the LGBT community, passing the Equality Act that I, I crafted in 2015, and then uh, taking on climate chaos because uh, we can see the enormous damage. And this is not a rural urban issue. A lot of the damage that's hitting the economy is on our ag sector, on our, our forest sector, and on our, our um, fishing sector. So um, uh, it is really a, a brutal uh, change uh, happening in all kinds of ways as the uh, planet gets warmer and warmer. We've got to stop it. We've got to convert to renewables, and we need to be bold and, and not just put America's house in order, but then help lead the world because this is a tragedy of the commons, that is common airspace on a global scale. So we all, we have to have all countries working together to tackle it. All of that could happen, and it could happen by August of next year. But first base, we've got to win the elections on November 3rd. Absolutely. Well, I think being able to think about that vision and, and what can you know really happen for our state and our country can help all of us get through the next 19 days, all our phone banking and text banking and doing all of that great work. Um, just want to thank you again. We are thrilled that we get to send you back uh, to D.C. for six more years of leadership, and we're right beside you uh, to execute that vision and get to a home run. Thank you so much for making the time. I know our members are thrilled to get to hear from you, uh, and we'll see you out there virtually on the campaign trail. Well, thank you so much, Coop. Uh, from the time that I, I quit my, uh, my 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 job working for a nonprofit to to organize to take back the Oregon House in 2003, and then 
worked so closely with SEIU to, to make that happen. We were just every single day planning and organizing together, fundraising together, recruiting candidates together, uh, developing a legislative agenda, and we did it. And we turned to the Oregon legislature around. Now we need to continue to fight here in Oregon, but we've got to turn the country around. And I know SEIU at the national level is working incredibly hard as a partner to achieve that. So thank you for being there, fighting for, for working people, getting uh, fair wages, fair benefits, fair working conditions. And let's uh, reverse the last uh, three decades in which we've just seen declining uh, uh, support uh, for working Americans while the, the wealthy get even wealthier. Uh, we've got to end government by and for the wealthy and powerful and restore the we the people vision of our constitution. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Senator. to close out the episode, we just want to remind members that your ballots have arrived. So if you haven't gotten it yet, it should be in your mailbox. Also, make sure you, you check that pile of mail on your kitchen table. But your ballot's here, and you have until 8 p.m. on November 3rd to return it. You have two ways to get your ballot in. First is your mailbox. Um, this year, there's no need to even have a stamp. Postage is free. So fill it out. Make sure you vote up and down the ballot. Turn it over on the backside too. Sign it and get it into your mailbox. The other option, take it to a to your closest Dropbox. There should be a bunch in your neighborhood or your community. And if you don't know where the closest Dropbox is, go to OregonVotes.gov/backslash/Dropbox. OregonVotes.gov/backslash/Dropbox to find out where your closest Dropbox is. And you got to hear about some great candidates uh, to, on this episode. You got to hear about some great candidates on this episode, but there's so many more that our union has endorsed. To learn about who those candidates are and who's running in your community, visit seiu.seiuoregon.org backslash 2020 election. And all the candidates we've endorsed are there. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>